Hey there, it's Kathy. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to History of the 90s early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. It was an early summer day in Houston when a very tall and very pretty bride arrived at the White Dove Wedding Chapel with her long blonde hair piled high in curlers. She changed into a full-length white satin wedding gown with puffy sleeves, a bow at the back, and a very low-cut neckline. The 26-year-old Texas beauty pulled her hair out of the curlers and put the finishing touches on her makeup. Then she walked down the aisle of the small, sunny chapel. The groom waiting for her was a wheelchair-bound oil tycoon who had showered the young woman with jewelry, cars, and property until she finally agreed to marry him. When they met, she was a stripper with aspirations of becoming a model. By the time he slipped a 22-carat diamond wedding ring on her finger a few years later, she was one of the most talked-about women in pop culture. I'm Kathy Kinzora, and this is History of the 90s, a podcast about a decade that changed the world. On this episode, we look back at the life and tragic death of a 90s icon. This is the story of Anna Nicole Smith. Born Vicki Lynn Hogan, Anna Nicole Smith grew up in Mahia, Texas, a small town in the Bible Belt, two and a half hours north of Houston. According to her family, she craved attention from an early age. And by the time she was a teenager, Anna Nicole dreamed of moving away from her sleepy hometown to become a model. But that wasn't in the cards, at least not yet. Instead, she dropped out of high school and took a job at Jim's Crispy Fried Chicken. That's where she met and then married Billy Smith. She was 17, he was just 16. Within months, she was pregnant with their son, Daniel. Despite becoming a mother, Anna Nicole still dreamed of being rich and famous. So after the whirlwind marriage, she and baby Daniel moved to Houston in 1986, leaving Billy Smith behind in Mejia. Once in Houston, Anna Nicole got a job waiting tables at Red Lobster, but she quickly realized being a stripper would earn her way more money. She tried out several different strip clubs, making between $50 and $200 a day. But it wasn't until she started working at a place called Gigi's that she met the wealthy man that would change her life. J. Howard Marshall II was worth at least $500 million on the day his driver pulled up to Gigi's in a Mercedes sedan. It was lunchtime and Anna Nicole was working the day shift. Her boss thought she needed to lose weight before she would be good enough for the night crowd. Marshall thought differently. When he looked at Anna Nicole, he saw perfection. Born in 1905, J. Howard Marshall II studied law at Yale and then worked in the oil industry, arriving in Houston in the 1960s. He made his fortune from having shares in Coke Industries, the massive U.S. multinational conglomerate started by Fred Koch and then split between his four sons. Before meeting Anna Nicole, Marshall was married twice and had a high-profile and contentious relationship with a Houston topless dancer turned socialite known as Lady Walker. When he saw Anna Nicole on stage at Gigi's dancing to Krista Berg's Lady in Red, he asked for a lap dance. Then he asked her to lunch. The next day, they met at a hotel and ordered room service. 
According to an article in Interview magazine, when Anna Nicole complained that she had to get back to work, Marshall handed her an envelope with 10 $100 bills and said, quote, Don't go to work, my lady love. You don't have to ever go back to work. Over the next few months, he showered the single mom with expensive gifts and gave her access to one of his houses situated on a five-acre property in North Houston that included a barn with horses and a swimming pool. But Anna Nicole wasn't content with being a rich man's mistress. She had much bigger dreams, and they were about to start coming true. In 1992, Anna Nicole mailed some provocative pictures of herself to Playboy magazine, which landed her on the cover in March of that year. She was styled as a debutante in an emerald green low-cut gown and gold silk gloves. The magazine's longtime West Coast photo editor, Marilyn Grabowski, said that she had never seen a more beautiful woman without makeup. But Anna Nicole was terrified at first to undress in front of Grabowski and her team. She asked to put on a record to help calm her nerves. It was Marilyn Monroe singing Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend. Which was fitting, because you see, Anna Nicole was obsessed with Marilyn Monroe. And as soon as she put the record on, Grabowski says Anna Nicole was no longer the scared young girl from a small town in Texas. Instead, she now embodied the star she was about to become. The Playboy exposure did something that rarely happens. It opened a door for Anna Nicole that led her into mainstream modeling. Following the March 92 cover, Anna Nicole was named Playmate of the Month in May of that year, which meant she was the centerfold for that month's publication. Her photos in the magazine caught the attention of Paul Marciano, co-founder and president of the fashion brand Guess. Marciano flew her to New York, got her an agent, and signed her to a three-year contract as the new face of Guess, replacing Claudia Schiffer. In fact, it was Marciano who changed her name from Vicki Smith to Anna Nicole Smith. By December 1992, Anna Nicole could be seen in a massive billboard campaign as well as multi-page ads in multiple magazines, including Interview, Harper's Bazaar, and Vanity Fair. The campaign featured the now 25-year-old resembling the 1950s bombshell Jane Mansfield in a vintage-styled shoot, wearing sequin gowns and leopard platform sandals. Ironically, little of her clothing in the ads was actually sold by Guess. But regardless, almost immediately, Anna Nicole became the new It Girl. She signed with the elite modeling agency in New York and landed parts in two Hollywood movies, The Hudsucker Proxy with Paul Newman, and Naked Gun 33 and a third. The next year, during a ceremony at the Playboy Mansion, Hugh Hefner named Anna Nicole the 1993 Playmate of the Year. Well, first of all, we have a little check here for $100,000. A big check. <laughs> Sitting out in front of the, of the house is also a Jaguar XJS, a convertible in oyster metallic doe skin. And this is the, the keys for that. Thank you. The fame and recognition came with attention to Anna Nicole's weight. A spokesperson for guests described Anna Nicole this way to the media. She's not the stick figure other girls are. She's much more voluptuous, like a 1950s movie star. 
Lots was said in the media about her curvy figure, which is shocking considering at 5'11", she weighed just 140 pounds, which is by no means large. In fact, if you go by the BMI, the body mass index, she was at the low end of normal weight, just one point above a classification of underweight. Listen to this uncomfortable exchange between Larry King and Anna Nicole on his show in 1993. Are you overweight? Really, are you over? Uh, um, yes, sir, I am. Larry. Larry, I am. You feel older than I am. I'm sorry. Okay, you are overweight. No, really, because know. in to the me, 40s or 50s, in the Monroe era, you were fantastic. Well, to me, I, I feel overweight. People, I mean, I don't know. As Anna Nicole's star was rising, she was already struggling with a drug addiction. During her days at the strip club, she had undergone two breast enlargement surgeries, which supersized her to a double D cup. It's believed that following one of those procedures, she became dependent on painkillers, a habit that came with dangerous consequences. On Friday, February 11th, 1994, Anna Nicole and a 20-year-old friend named Daniel Ross checked into the Peninsula Hotel in Beverly Hills. Early the next morning, paramedics were called to their luxury suite for reports of a possible overdose. Both Anna Nicole and Daniel Ross were rushed to hospital where they were treated and released. Police said they each had traces of tequila, Vicodin, and Xanax in their systems. But investigators deemed the incident accidental and no charges were laid. There were reports in the media at the time that Anna Nicole and Daniel had a heated argument before the overdose. But Anna Nicole's publicist said there was nothing sinister about what happened, saying his client was suffering from a bad migraine when she checked into the hotel. Several weeks later, Anna Nicole herself denied having mixed alcohol and drugs, saying the reported overdose was the worst thing ever written about her. She said, quote, It's so fiction, you know, just to say something like that is so mean. There were other troubles, too. Prior to the overdose, Anna Nicole was sued by a former publicist for breach of contract. And then in May 1994, a former nanny filed a $2 million lawsuit against the model, accusing her of assault and sexual assault. A month later, in June 1994, Anna Nicole was in the news yet again, but this time for a happier occasion. Remember the elderly man she met at Gigi's, the oil tycoon? Well, J. Howard Marshall II was still in the picture continuing to shower her with gifts, including hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of jewelry and her own house in North Houston, where Anna Nicole now lived with her young son. Marshall repeatedly asked Anna Nicole to marry him, and finally, she said yes. Following their wedding service attended by 11 people, Anna Nicole and Marshall released two white doves outside the small Houston chapel. Back inside, there was a brief reception of cake and champagne, then Anna Nicole kissed her wheelchair-bound husband before jetting off to Greece for a photo shoot. The marriage caused an avalanche of media coverage. It seemed there was no limit to the public's fascination with Anna Nicole Smith. But there was one person in particular who was watching the marriage extremely closely. Marshall's son from his first marriage, 55-year-old Pierce Marshall. His father's shares in Coke Industries were worth hundreds of millions of dollars. 
And with the 89-year-old in frail health, the issue of who would inherit the fortune was top of mind for his son. Plus, the elder marshal had an established track record of giving away his money to beautiful women. I mentioned that before meeting Anna Nicole, Marshall had a high-profile romance with Diane Walker, who most people called Lady, a childhood nickname. They met in 1982 when Lady Walker was working as a topless dancer at the Chic Lounge in Houston. She was 42, he was 77. Marshall paid for a private dance that night and within a few weeks had bought her a Cadillac, quickly followed by a house and a big diamond ring. The rich Texas oil man was completely smitten with the brunette with a flawless complexion and legs that went on forever. At the time, Marshall was still married to his second wife, Betty Marshall, who was ill with Alzheimer's. But that didn't stop him from taking Lady Walker to Houston's finest and flashiest restaurants several times a week. Lady turned heads every time she entered a room, usually wearing an enormous hat with matching accessories and a white fur coat. People couldn't help but stare at her. She became a flamboyant Houston socialite, followed closely by society reporters. Marshall showered Lady Walker with expensive gifts, hundreds of thousands of dollars in jewelry, couture gowns, and luxury cars. This went on for 10 years, with Marshall promising Lady they would marry when his wife died. But that didn't happen, because Lady Walker died first. In July 1991, Lady died from a congenital brain defect during a facelift. She was 51 years old. Marshall's wife, Betty, died two months later. Devastated by the two losses, Marshall fell into a deep despair. According to an article in New York Magazine, he spent most days asleep or drunk on Johnny Walker Black Label. To make matters worse, turns out Lady Walker had a secret boyfriend who, unbeknownst to Marshall, was living with her before she died. When Marshall found out, he was furious and decided to take revenge. Lady Walker had left millions of dollars worth of jewels and fur coats to her two adult daughters. She even left her secret boyfriend $10,000 in cash, a truck, and a diamond bracelet. Remember, everything Lady Walker owned had been gifted to her from Marshall. So with the guidance of his son Pierce, he sued her estate, demanding they give everything back. In the end, Lady Walker's family agreed to settle out of court, returning almost everything in her $5.8 million estate to Marshall. As you can imagine, this lawsuit became a media sensation in Houston. And it showed the lengths that Marshall's son Pierce was prepared to go to protect his father's money and his inheritance. Following his dad's marriage to Anna Nicole, Pierce successfully petitioned the court to become power of attorney over J. Howard Marshall's assets, stripping the elder Marshall of control over his own money. According to the recent Netflix documentary, Anna Nicole Smith, You Don't Know Me, Pierce even forced Anna Nicole to return jewelry bought for her by her husband without Pierce's approval. It was an uncomfortable arrangement that long-term would most certainly be impossible to abide by, but it would soon be unnecessary. Let's take a journey back to 2003. Canadian teen sensation Avril Lavigne was topping the charts and turning the music industry upside down. But what if I told you that the Avril Lavigne we know and love might not be the same Avril? What? 
Did Avril die? Was she replaced by a doppelganger? I'm Joanne McNally and I'm doing a deep dive into a notorious internet conspiracy. Who replaced Avril Lavigne? Listen wherever you get your podcasts. After their wedding, Anna Nicole and her new husband didn't spend much time together because she mostly lived in Los Angeles and Marshall lived in Texas. He called her frequently, though, sometimes dozens of times a day. At this point, however, Anna Nicole's drug use was intensifying, and she was usually preoccupied when he called. So in December 1994, Marshall flew out to Los Angeles to visit her. When he arrived, she was in bed, and he decided to join her. As his driver lifted him out of his wheelchair, Anna Nicole responded, Oh no, Papa, you know you don't get up in bed with me. You pee the bed. When Marshall returned to Texas, his health worsened, and he was eventually hospitalized with stomach cancer. Pierce Marshall, who had assumed temporary guardianship of his father, refused to let Anna Nicole visit her ailing husband, and he also cut her off from his money. On August 4, 1995, John Howard Marshall II succumbed to his illness. He was 90 years old. At Marshall's funeral, Anna Nicole wore her wedding dress, complete with veil, while her nine-year-old son Daniel also wore his white tuxedo from the wedding. During the service, Anna Nicole and her son stood up and offered the Bette Midler song, Wind Beneath My Wings, in honor of all that Marshall had done for them. The death of Marshall wasn't a surprise, and neither was what happened next. An epic battle between Anna Nicole Smith and Pierce Marshall over who would inherit the fortune left behind by the oil tycoon with a soft spot for pretty women. Despite his professed love of Anna Nicole, his lady love as he called her, Marshall's will left her nothing. Everything went to Pierce. Even his other son, J. Howard Marshall III, was excluded. Anna Nicole insisted that he had promised her half of his vast fortune. So in the days following Marshall's death, she initiated a legal battle that would last 25 years as it made its way to the highest court in the land. Meantime, Anna Nicole had another legal battle to deal with. Remember that lawsuit filed by a nanny who had worked for her, alleging Anna Nicole had assaulted and sexually assaulted her? Well, it had not gone away. Maria Serrato claimed in the $2 million suit that Anna Nicole plied her with drugs and alcohol to have sex with her and threatened to deport her if she didn't. Anna Nicole countered that it was Maria who took advantage of her and accused the nanny of trying to kidnap Daniel. Shortly after Marshall's death, Anna Nicole was scheduled to provide a deposition in the case, but she repeatedly didn't show up at the courthouse. Anna Nicole was struggling with health issues after undergoing surgery to remove benign lumps in her breasts, which led to an infection and another surgery. The judge eventually got fed up with the no-shows and in August 1995 ruled in favor of the nanny and ordered Anna Nicole to pay her $800,000. This was money she didn't have, so Anna Nicole was forced to file for bankruptcy protection. Through it all, Anna Nicole struggled to stay afloat. She took huge quantities of pills, overdosed at least once, tried to detox at the Betty Ford Center, but relapsed and was back on drugs within a few months of her release. Her career was suffering too. The William Morris Talent Agency dropped her, so she signed with a small legal firm on Rodeo Drive, hoping the lawyers there could help relaunch her career. 
One of the partners at the firm was 29-year-old Howard K. Stern, a man that would figure prominently for the rest of Anna Nicole's life. Meantime, the case regarding J. Howard Marshall's inheritance was in and out of court. Lawyers attacked it from all different angles, hoping something would stick. With that much money at stake, things were extremely complicated. The matter was simultaneously addressed in both bankruptcy court in Los Angeles, as well as probate court in Houston. And every time Anna Nicole was called to testify, there were sure to be fireworks. In particular, between Anna Nicole and Pierce Marshall's lawyer, Rusty Harlan, who was not impressed when she cried on the stand. Have you been taking new acting lessons? <laughs> Screw you, Rusty. And there was this exchange when Anna Nicole gazed at her nails while Rusty Harlan was asking her questions. Are you trying to suggest, do you want a nail file or anything? If you got one. At one point, the bankruptcy court ruled in Anna Nicole's favor and awarded her $450 million. But lawyers for Pierce Marshall challenged the ruling, arguing the California court did not have jurisdiction. As Anna Nicole's financial future remained in limbo, she was in desperate need of finding a new source of income. Most of her modeling and acting opportunities had dried up. But there was a new form of entertainment dominating the TV airwaves at the turn of the century. And Anna Nicole decided to cash in. The Anna Nicole Show debuted on the e-cable channel in August 2002. Over 7.5 million people tuned in to the first episode of the reality show that featured Anna Nicole along with her 16-year-old son Daniel, Howard K. Stern, her lawyer, and Kim, her personal assistant. Those numbers set a record at the time, making Anna Nicole Show the best debut ever on E! It even outdid Keeping Up with the Kardashians, which was watched by just under 3 million people when it premiered seven years later. But Anna Nicole's series didn't have the same staying power. The show, which often featured a slurring Anna Nicole who appeared to be moving in slow motion as she went about her day-to-day -day activities, only lasted for two seasons. However, executives at E! stressed that the Anna Nicole show wasn't axed because of bad ratings. Ratings were down by about 50%, but they insisted they were still good. Instead, they said the series wouldn't return because it wasn't creatively where they wanted it to be. Following the cancellation of her show, Anna Nicole turned her focus to something else, losing weight. Over the years, her weight had gone up and down, a matter that was followed closely by late-night talk show host and radio shock jock Howard Stern. Proving once again that he is a slimeball, Stern and his co-hosts each guessed how much they thought Anna Nicole weighed before bringing her into the studio. Then Stern proceeded to try and pressure her to get on the scale. The way you dress and stuff, I don't think you're aware that you're a heavyset woman. That's what I said. I know I'm a big woman, so yeah. what? So I was guessing your weight. And I was going to say to you today, can you please get on the scale and then we'll have an over-under, that's all? No. Why not? Why not? I'm not going to get on a scale if you got to weigh me. Recently, clips of that humiliating experience made the rounds on TikTok, shocking a new generation which has made strides in removing the shame around different body sizes. But at the time, sadly, it was quite common for Anna Nicole to be treated this way. 
Regardless, after that incident, Anna Nicole did lose weight. In fact, she reportedly dropped 69 pounds in eight months. She said it was thanks to a weight loss supplement called Trim Spa. Then she became a spokesperson for the New Jersey-based company, appearing in TV commercials that characterized the weight loss as the beginning of a comeback for Anna Nicole. Get the attention you deserve. The endorsement deal paid Anna Nicole $500,000 a year, and it caused Trim Spa sales to skyrocket. Although the company was eventually forced by the FDA to pay a fine of $1.5 million for making unsubstantiated claims regarding the effectiveness of the diet pill. And sadly, Trim Spa and the weight loss didn't really lead to a comeback for Anna Nicole. She still struggled with a drug addiction that by now had gotten out of control. Among the many drugs prescribed to her by doctors was the opioid methadone. Then came a troubling appearance at the American Music Awards in 2004. Because she had been featured in Kanye West's video for the new workout plan, Anna Nicole had been invited to introduce a performance by the rapper. I was honored to be on our next performer's new video. And if I ever record an album, I want this guy to produce my, make me beautiful duets. Years later, Anna Nicole's former partner, Larry Burkhead, told The Wendy Williams Show that the night before the AMAs, he tried to talk her out of doing it. He said she was suffering from chronic pain due to her previous breast surgeries, plus she was extremely nervous, and doctors prescribed something that ended up keeping her awake all night. Either way, she was a total mess. During the introduction, Anna Nicole asked the audience, do you like my body? Then she awkwardly dragged her finger across her chest. Larry Burkhead says she was trying to point at a necklace she was wearing, which was the shape of a large diet pill. Larry Burkhead started dating Anna Nicole after the pair met in 2003 at the Barnstable Brown Gala, which is held the night before the Kentucky Derby. Anna Nicole was in Kentucky filming her reality show, and Burkhead says when she spotted him, she kept trying to wave him over and blew kisses at him. Burkhead was a celebrity photographer and was eventually hired to take photos of Smith at a camp for children living with HIV, which was also filmed for her reality show. The two eventually started a romantic relationship, and Burkhead moved from Kentucky to Los Angeles to live with her. The relationship was tumultuous. Burkhead says he packed his bag several times prepared to leave. And then in April 2006, following a fight, Anna Nicole took off for the Bahamas, leaving him behind. But Anna Nicole wasn't alone in Bahamas. Joining her was lawyer and companion Howard K. Stern, who was never far from her side. And two months after leaving LA for the Caribbean island, Anna Nicole revealed some big news in a video on her website. Well, let me stop all the rumors. Yes, I am pregnant. I am uh, happy. I'm very, very happy about it. Um, everything's going really, really good. 
Anna Nicole, who was floating in a pool while making this announcement, promised to keep her fans posted as she grows. But she didn't reveal who the father was. Larry Burkhead was quick to tell TMZ that he was the dad. But when Anna Nicole delivered her baby daughter, Danny Lynn, by cesarean on September 7, 2006, in a hospital in Nassau, Bahamas, she put a different name on the birth certificate. She put Howard K. Stern. Anna Nicole's longtime lawyer was listed as Danny Lynn's biological father. But the paternity issue was put on hold when something terribly tragic rocked Anna Nicole's world. On September 10th, three days after Danny Lynn was born, Anna Nicole's 20-year-old son traveled to Bahamas to meet his new sister. Anna Nicole was thrilled to see Daniel, and she insisted that he crawl into bed with her and the baby for a nap. For a fleeting moment, they were a perfect little family. Then, when Anna Nicole woke up from her nap, she turned to her son, and she knew right away that something was wrong. Daniel was dead from an accidental overdose of methadone and the antidepressant Zoloft and Lexapro. Anna Nicole was inconsolable. She had lost the one person she believed loved her unconditionally. She didn't want to live anymore, and the only reason she was holding on was her new baby, Danny Lynn. In the midst of the despair, there was still the matter of the identity of the baby's father. On September 26th, Howard K. Stern went on Larry King Live and declared that he was the baby daddy. Two days later, Stern and Anna Nicole were married on a catamaran off the coast of Nassau. But a spokesperson for the couple said the ceremony, which took place at three in the morning, was not legally binding. They had, quote, exchanged vows before God, but did not obtain a marriage license. And there was no time for a honeymoon. Four days after the impromptu wedding, Anna Nicole's ex, Larry Burkhead, filed a lawsuit, demanding that she and Danny Lynn return to California for a paternity test. Burkhead said he took the dramatic step because Anna Nicole had not responded to any of his attempts to reach out to her. In December 2006, a judge sided with Burkhead and gave Anna Nicole until January 23, 2007 to have Danny Lynn undergo DNA testing. On the day in question, Anna Nicole failed to show, and a court hearing on the matter was scheduled for February 7, 2007. Meantime, Anna Nicole's mental and physical health was rapidly deteriorating. As she mourned her son's death and dealt with postpartum depression, she turned to her doctors for help. Records show that over a five-week period, her psychiatrist prescribed over 1,800 pills, plus a bottle of the sedative chloral hydrate, an out-of-date treatment for insomnia. A pharmacist filling Anna Nicole's prescription warned that the drugs amounted to pharmaceutical suicide and suggested to Howard K. Stern that he shouldn't give her the chloral hydrate unless he wanted to see his face on the front page of the National Enquirer. Even still, the drugs were filled by the pharmacist and administered to Anna Nicole, who by all accounts was barely holding on. In January 2007, she told People magazine that every day and night she dreams of her son. She said, quote, He comes to me in my sleep. It's like he's calling me to come to him. On February 5th, 2007, Anna Nicole and Howard K. Stern traveled from the Bahamas to Florida. Witnesses said when they checked into the Seminole Hard Rock Cafe, she appeared woozy and was held up by Stern when they walked through the lobby. 
Over the next few days, a hotel employee assigned to act as Anna Nicole's personal assistant was told that she had the flu. But when the hotel dispatched a local doctor to help treat her, they were turned away. Anna Nicole stayed holed up in the hotel room with a reported fever of 105. At one point, a housekeeper found her sitting naked and confused in an empty bathtub. On the morning of February 7th, Stern says Anna Nicole woke early and complained to him about fatigue. He helped her to the bathroom and then put her back in bed before leaving for an appointment to view a yacht that the couple was planning to buy. At one o'clock that afternoon, he received a phone call. Anna Nicole had been found by a private nurse and she was unresponsive. Less than two hours later, Anna Nicole Smith was pronounced dead at hospital. She was 39 years old. When she died, Anna Nicole Smith was surrounded by 44 different types of medication. They were scattered around the hotel room, spelling out the tragedy that had befallen yet another celebrity who didn't have the kind of people in her life who were willing to put a stop to things before it was too late. Some of the people who should have been protecting Anna Nicole did face charges following her death, but in the end, no one was really held accountable. Anna Nicole's psychiatrist, along with her doctor and her longtime lawyer and companion, Howard K. Stern, were all charged with various offenses, but they were either acquitted or had their convictions overturned. Anna Nicole's death left behind several other complicated legal battles. Immediately following her death, there was the matter over where she would be buried. A court hearing became a three-ring circus when Howard K. Stern, Anna Nicole's estranged mom, Virgie, and a court-appointed lawyer representing Danny Lynn argued over where her final resting place should be. Stern wanted her buried in the Bahamas beside her son, Daniel, and Virgie wanted her daughter returned to Texas. The case made a celebrity out of the judge Larry Seidlin, a former cabbie from the Bronx, who became known as the weeping judge when he delivered his emotion-filled decision in the case. I wanna, there's no, there's no shouting. This is not, this is not a happy moment. I want her buried with her son in the Bahamas. I want them to be together. <laughs> As for the matter of Danny Lynn's paternity, in April 2007, two months after Anna Nicole's death, DNA test results revealed that Larry Burkhead was in fact the biological father. The seven-month-old baby was turned over to her dad, who took her to his home state of Kentucky to begin a life together. Meantime, the battle over J. Howard Marshall's estate continued with vigor, despite the fact that Pierce Marshall also died. Eight months before Anna Nicole's death, he succumbed to septic shock brought on by an infection. In his place, Pierce Marshall's widow, Elaine, continued the battle over the elder Marshall's estate. Finally, in 2011, the claim was dismissed by the Supreme Court, and the probate court officially closed the case in 2018. The estate of Anna Nicole Smith received no part of the vast fortune left behind by J. Howard Marshall. Today, the Marshall family remains on the Forbes list of richest American families, sitting at number 14, with an estimated fortune of $18.5 billion. As for Danny Lynn, today she is a pretty 17-year-old straight-A student who lives with her father in Kentucky, where they have mostly stayed out of the spotlight. In May 2023, they were spotted at the Kentucky Derby. 
first at the Barnstable Brown Gala. That's where her parents met 20 years earlier. In honor of the occasion, Danny Lynn wore a top featuring photos from Anna Nicole's guest campaign. And the next day at the horse race, Danny Lynn wore a sunflower print dress, which she accessorized with a crystal necklace and bracelet from Anna Nicole's archives. It was a sweet tribute to the mum she never really knew, but who for the rest of us will always remain a larger-than-life 90s icon. Thanks for listening to this look back at the complicated life and death of Anna Nicole Smith. And thanks to listener Olivia Lyle, who suggested this topic. She reached out to me through Instagram, and you can too. Send a message anytime with comments and topic suggestions. I'm on Instagram at That90sPodcast and on Facebook at 1990sHistory. Or you can email me at 90s at CuriousCast.ca. That's 90s at CuriousCast.ca. This episode was hosted and written by me, Kathy Kinzora. Our producer is Dila Velasquez, and sound design and final production is by Rob Johnston. See you next time for more History of the 90s. 